You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hi, I'm John Spirasavet, and here again with me is Dan Ross. Uh, Hi, everybody. Hey, two rabbis here again to talk about uh, episode two of The Good Place, which is called Flying. I wanted to start off, I was listening to our uh, recording of our first conversation and um, some negative points on me, because we talked about this whole episode without my actually mentioning the the people who who created that episode in The Good Place. Um, So I wanted to just... Uh, talk about them. Uh, Michael Schur, who's the the creator of the show and the incredible cast. Uh, we talked particularly about um, Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. Uh, William Jackson Harper plays Chidi. Um, also Darcy Carden and uh, Jamila Jamil and Manny Jacinto. I think we got got all the main cast there. Just just amazing. And in this episode, I'm really going to go loving William Jackson Harper as, as Cheaty. Um, so anyway, some negative points I got to work off. And I want to say something positive about you, Dan, because I was listening to, uh, you were talking, we were talking about what, what characters we, we kind of think we're most like or strive like. And you described Eleanor, and I'm not sure I heard it as you were saying it before, but just kind of described her as being almost like the ideal rabbi. Um, you were talking about her organizing a team to, you know, do good um, for themselves and the world. And I thought, wow. And, uh, and then I also thought, wouldn't that be amazing if like rabbinical school was being taught by by Eleanor's instead of Chidi's? <laughs> it's so interesting that you bring that up because I'm, I'm reminded as you say that of um, uh, keeping the faith. Um, the quote is like, no rabbi can ever, you know, lead everyone, but they can only offer themselves as a guide to other helpless people <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and, and I think that there there's something to that about, you know, uh, Eleanor um owning her own uh you know the the uh especially as we enter the season of elul and um uh the the high holidays like eleanor owning um where she needs to grow and by the way as you were you were you know giving your first all hate like the sin that you committed i'm like elul started next week it's great so like (laughs) let's just you know let's get it started early john as we Think about our sins of the past year. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is not a coincidence. If you're listening to this as it's brand new, we, it is planned to begin for Elul, the month that's leading to Rosh Hashanah. But um, uh, this is good stuff for, for all year long, too. Do you want to give us the summary, Dan? Yeah, sure. Um, so let's uh, find out what happens in this wondrous episode called Flying. Michael convenes the neighborhood meeting, which was called at the end of the previous episode, at Tahani's house and says there must be a flaw of some kind, but everyone's striped clothing begins to turn back to normal and the crisis is apparently averted. Back to Eleanor's house, Chidi puts up a blackboard with a bunch of questions from moral philosophy related to whether he should help Eleanor, but he tells her it is impossible because she is too selfish to ever be a good person. Eleanor flashes back to going out to drinks with her co-workers and discussing who should be the designated driver. And instead of her letting her name be drawn out of the hat, she eats all of the slips of paper and says, this is what integrity looks like. <laughs> On flying day, Tahani proposes that some should stay back and do a neighborhood cleanup and Tahiti volunteers himself and Eleanor. Eleanor does it half-heartedly, and eventually when a trash bag breaks, she hides it in one of those homes so that she can have a turn at flying. Just after she gets into the air, trash begins to fall from the sky. (laughs) Chidi suspects it's Eleanor's fault, and she confesses, and Chidi tells her it is pointless to try to help her. 
Michael talks to Tahani and Jian Yu about being a bad architect, a canyon full of poo poo. <laughs> that night, Eleanor flashes back again to the bar where after wiggling out of being a designated driver again, her colleagues tell her, you have a very important choice to make. Eleanor goes out and cleans up the neighborhood by herself and Chidi sees her and says he will help her. He starts their course in moral philosophy, but a note is slipped under Eleanor's door that says, dun, 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 you don't belong here. <laughs> Nicely Who done. Who sent that note, John? I guess we'll find out in the next episode. <laughs> I guess we will find that out. Wow. So I was, that's great. I, I have, people have told me sometimes that I have like a radio voice. Boy, I'm like demonstrating that I don't now. And you went full drama <laughs> instead of, uh, instead of radio announcers. So. <laughs> So do you have some things that you love about this episode? I love just like my favorite line in the episode is when Michael says, I've banned flying for a thousand years. And the reason for that is like, it's such a throwaway line. It's so funny, but it gives you the scope. It's like the first time you like, for me at least, I really realized, wow, we're talking about eternity here. Like these folks are going to be here for eternity. And there's even a question of like, whether they can fly once every a thousand years because it's too dangerous. It's like, why is it too dangerous? There's also the wonderful moment where he kicks the dog into the sun, <laughs> which is just so, uh, and it got me to thinking a little bit about like, you know, are there any, but is there anybody in the neighborhood who doesn't like dogs? I'm a dog lover, John. I love uh, my dog, but would it be the case that you couldn't have even one dog in a neighborhood of people that don't like dogs? That sort of thing. It's like kind of like <laughs> questions that were, uh, that were uh, popping into my head, but I love, you know, I mean, again, this is just another, uh, another classic episode, of course. What about you? I love kind of this uh, scene toward the opening where with the blackboard and where he's trying, where Chidi is trying to um, describe how he's going to approach this question about whether to help her or not. And, um, and after he presents some of the philosophical questions, he tries to, uh, he says to her, like, is there, can you tell me one thing? <laughs> about me like where i'm from and she says is it racist if i say africa and um and the way they play that the way they play that whole thing out you know like the lines are so, like it's a lot of you know this kind of basic stuff that that chidi delivers as like straight philosophy but they play it for like the extra thing for uh a laugh and um and he's like you know both like yes and also africa is not a country and just uh you know it's just it's just really clear they give it like just enough like i feel like the episode isn't isn't like overdone for like uh yuck yuck laughs but it's got great stuff like that mm -hmm. And um, I think really, all, I, I was just kind of, oh, and I love the thing about, you know, she, where she says where he's from is Sensodyne instead of Senegal. Oh, Sensodyne, that was a good one. And then the other, like, just incredible moment is Tahani and Janyu, um when um, ta uh, Tahani is say, says to him, because Janyu's still in his vow of silen silence, she says to him, well, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Why don't we both say it at exactly the same time? And then she says it, and he doesn't speak, of course. And it's just such a classic moment. It's like, you sly dog, you. You had me going there for a second. So, oh, man. Um, and it gets you wondering again, like, you know, when Michael says things like a thousand years, like, 
why would you know is it imaginable that like somebody could actually keep a vow of silence for all of eternity <laughs> in the world you know in the, in the good place i guess i guess yeah anyways all right <laughs> no but i um i was going to ask you like what kind of toothpaste do you use if i might ask oh, you a personal uh, yeah, question um crest extra whitening you know those big packages you can get from costco uh-huh. Like I still like I think we bought one like two or three years ago and we still haven't finished it. You can get like five or six wrapped together. So, um, you know, love getting stuff like that from Costco. What about you? What's your toothpaste? You know what? I I I was as soon as I thought about asking you this, I realized that <laughs> I should check because I I'm not sure if it's Crest or Colgate or if I just use whatever not happens sure? to, to be there. Like, I know. <laughs> I know. So you don't have a strong toothpaste preference, but it's not Sensodyne. No, but I am more for the white toothpaste than for the gels. Um, oh, again, definitely. Not a strong, not a strong. Yeah, product. anything that's like electric blue like that, I'm very hesitant to, you know, put on my teeth. It's just a little <laughs> bit. Uh, it's a bit concerning. So <laughs> the other thing, I think, also like my favorite line that I didn't remember was at at the initial scene at the meeting at uh, Tahani's, where um, actually first Michael reveals that he's like in a human body that he's created for himself, and he's sweating, which he has to have Janet explain what sweating is and what to do about it. <laughs> he's like, uh, should I lick it? And she says, no, dab it with a cloth. And then he says, and then should I lick that? And <laughs> that's, that's really it's really awesome. Oh, man. Goodness. Yeah, and I just I was really just marveling at how some of these, you know, money lines of these, uh, you know, the big questions, uh, particularly Chidi gets to deliver them, and they, they sort of make sense. Either they're funny or just the way he, uh, just the way he sells it uh, with earnestness coupled with this, like, exasperation. It's just, just brilliant. And they don't, like, hit, hit us over the head with the philosophy, which is totally what I think we're going to do and hopefully try to try to make it funny there. So, but actually what I thought we could do is to jump in and this will actually help us talk about some of these things in the episode and um, mention a couple of Jewish ideas and texts. And I wanted to start with just the idea of teshuva, which mm. is the, the big idea really of the whole of the whole show. Um, teshuva, I'm just going to say, is like this idea of personal, I'm going to say self-correction. That'll be like a a stand-in, a stand-in thing to explain this term, but I think actually the the show is brilliant. It's just an over and over exploration. That's actually why I wanted to do the podcast. Is I think it's just this incredible exploration of some of these basic ideas, like over and over again. We'll keep coming back to them. So I'll be like, hopefully, like only forty-five seconds of didactic. That I think it's neat to use Jewish terms and to explore them because they're different from what we hear. Like tshuva is usually translated as repentance. We talk about repentance and sin. And I just don't think like those words are are the same. And shuva is different from like growth or change. And so um, so having this different kind of words to use and then to be able to use them gives us kind of a different angle on uh, and maybe what's a similar thing that's that we talk about uh, in in secular society or in American society. So shuva um, it literally means coming coming back. I think actually it's kind of a hopeful metaphor because it suggests that you've you've been someplace good or you've been someone good before. And it's an idea that um, in the Torah is actually rooted in exile of the people um, going away and then actually literally coming home. And then it gets translated later in Jewish thought as, a, as something that happens um, individually. Do you want to say something any more general, Dan, about uh, tshuva before I give us a little quote about it? One of the things is that I'm thinking about is like the show asks the question, can we get better? 
And its answer is emphatically like, yes, we can get better. And, and that's what I think about in the in the season of Teshuvah. It's like that that's the, um, you know, the heart of the question is like, is there is there a way that we can engage in the practice of, of self-improvement? Can we grow? Can we develop? Can we renew in, in its own way every single year? So, but um, awesome. Uh, and I love using this language to talk about the show. I love speaking in Jewish, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'll see again to remind uh, to remind people that uh, this these lenses might or may not be useful or as useful or more useful than, than other lenses on uh, and personal growth or personal change, but it's it's a Jewish lens, and you'll you'll get familiar with it. So I want to I want to read this quote out from again Rabbi Moses Maimonides, medieval rabbi and philosopher, and um, he was like the the least cheaty type of moral philosopher I can think of, like the least funny rabbi ever. So I'm trying to figure out how to do this without sort of sucking the air out of our of our conversation. Um, it is uh, the Talmud, I think, is like in many places legit funny and um, and as proof of this and i'm going to post this uh dan ross sitting here himself um has done this like incredible thing with his uh friend our friend dr uh, daniel olson um it, taking a whole chapter of Talmud and presenting it in this incredible, funny, and musical way. <laughs> yes, people will watch. Um, and uh, there's nothing about uh, Rabbi Maimonides, really, that, that lends itself, I don't think, to, uh, to being funny. But here we go. And so what I'm going to try to do also is to translate this text um, without, <laughs> in sort of a gender-neutral way and trying to avoid words like sin. So if you check out the show notes, you can go back and see if there's, if you want to hear, hear it and uh, sort of check my work and, uh, and source it out. So here here it is in what he calls Hilchot Tshuva, the laws of Tshuva, um, chapter 2, number 2. And he says, what is Tshuva? That a person who does wrong leaves the wrong and gets it out of one's mind and resolves in one's heart not to do it anymore. And then he quotes a verse from Isaiah, let the wicked give up his ways, the man of wrongdoing his plans, let him go back to Adonai, to God, this idea of coming back. And similarly, one must regret uh, what one did wrong, as it is said, and he quotes Jeremiah, after I came back, I regretted. So the idea here, and again, we're going to talk like over and over throughout all these episodes about what shuva is, that that it sort of starts with not doing and then changing your mind and then changing your your heart. And um, so I think it's really interesting to, I was looking at this episode and looking at Eleanor in that, in that light. And because uh, I think Chidi is trying to figure out like, is she like, what, what is it with her? Does she just initially just seems like she wants to change just to like get out of a, she's up shirts Creek as they might say. Oh know? yeah. yeah, yeah. Another great show um, as it were. <laughs> A lot of tour there. So, so if I understood your question, it's, it's, you know, what is, are we talking about what Eleanor's intentions are or what's her? She starts off by, I mean, she knows that she has to change in some, she has to, I think her first idea is like, what can I do to, to keep myself in the good place? And that is where Maimonides starts with like, don't do something. And is that a good, does that seem like a good place to start when one thinks about uh, change? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, she, it's almost also like, it's not even necessarily about keeping herself in the good places. So, so much as it is about avoiding being sent to the bad place. And it really, you know, sort of, if we're talking about moral development here, I mean, you know, Chidi says from the very outset of their instruction, I cannot, it's not even that 
you can't get better fundamentally because of that selfishness. Like even your intention for moral development is to is is fundamentally selfish. And so how how can I help you? <laughs> you know, you cannot achieve any meaningful moral perfect. You know, moral you know development perfection, whatever you want to call it, without actually having the right alignment of heart. So I think that uh, this is definitely an incredibly, what, about, what are your thoughts? You, you, you chose to bring this text. So. Yeah, you know, I think uh, partly because it really, it doesn't really, like Maimonides doesn't start in the heart. That's kind of somewhere along the road. And I, I was thinking about wh- how the show presents, like what is Eleanor's badness? You know, what do we know about her? We know that she is willing to like cheat you know, uh, get old and vulnerable people to take a product which isn't good for them. And she's not willing to, you know, drive people home, you know, who might be drunk and, you know, uh, things like that. And, and, uh, but we don't actually see her, we don't actually see her harm anybody. Like we see her do things that could lead people to, to harm, but it's interesting how they chose to characterize her, her badness. And then, um, and then Chidi gives this label that it's about selfishness, thinking about only herself. And it causes her to do these, these flashbacks, but, um, and they have to make her, I think both, um, you know, she has to be for the show sort of bad enough, but also not so bad that we would just hate her. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think that what she, she starts like, this is when he starts to talk to her, she thinks back, I think it's like three times in the episode to the scene at the bar and the designated driver thing. And then I was thinking about like, well, I don't know. I was going to say garbage as like, you know, there's a big theme in the first episode and this one as kind of a, a metaphor. Oh, that's the other thing, right? She does. She steals shrimp from the, the party in episode right, right, one. Right. She stops herself with that. But she is kind of, you know, the first thing that that happens is that uh, Chidi comes up with this idea that why don't we why don't we participate in the cleanup of the neighborhood? So I guess I guess that's an that's like an action. It's not like fundamental, but it's just like a place to start. And and I do like in Maimonides that he's very much like uh, we'll start by in this teaching, at least start by start by thinking about something you're doing or you you haven't done. I guess that's true. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, Chidi, one of the questions that we're going to probably circle around is the extent to which Chidi is an effective moral instructor, right? And so, you know, he starts with the blackboard, but he also brings practice into Eleanor's moral education by (laughs) raising the hand. (laughs) <laughs> and explaining is like, this is precisely the kind of situation that you need to be put into in order to grow, which is like, there's something that you want to do. There's something that would benefit other people and you that you don't want to do. And which do you choose? Which is also just, you know, you wonder a little bit about, um, you wonder a little bit about Tahani here too. And what's going on with Tahani and what she's trying to show by mm. volunteering to to clean up the neighborhood, right? Like why, or by, you know, offering to volunteer to clean up the neighborhood. Like, again, we're in, we're in the good place ostensibly, right? Like they, they, these folks should have nothing left to prove or that should be the assumption that they're operating under and they should all get to fly, like who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, um, you know, Tahani is the kind of person who keeps studying for the SATs after getting into college, right? <laughs> like that's her, uh, that's her yearbook superlative. I guess I, I'm sort of wondering, you know, what, what's going on or what might be going on there and what, what questions that, that gives us to ask as well. Yeah, that's interesting because later on, and again, we said spoilers wouldn't be an issue here. We're going to find out that she has things she has to to work on also. But at the moment, we just think that she's one of those 
many perfect people. Um, I love it's uh, what is it, Gunner and Antonio? Is that their names who like love cleaning up and make a game out of it and shoot baskets, you know, into the the garbage cans? And she's like, yes, like clean up landmines, and I could clean up garbage here, here too. Mm-hmm. I think this relation of uh, well, actually, well, there's like two dimensions of mind, and maybe you, maybe it's time for you to bring in your your other thing because. Um, it does, these conversations with Chidi do cause Eleanor to flash back and like process this one particular thing. And it's funny, I, I might have thought that, uh, you know, cursing out the environmental petitioner at the, the supermarket or, um, you know, defrauding people might be, you know, equivalently bad things, but they, they throw in this um, this bar scene thing. Uh, maybe because it has to do with people, like she's got people around who who she knows. The other things are kind of less embedded and here here her thing is like in relation to i was also wondering how many months she had been going to that bar <laughs> with her co-workers where they've realized that like she her name never gets pulled out of the hat for <laughs> for being the designated <laughs> drivers like how many you know how many afternoon you know or you know friday night happy hours do you have to go to uh in order to to get that sense um should i should i bring the the second text we were talking yeah about? yeah Okay, so this is a story from uh, the Babylonian Talmud, um, which is the um, corpus of rabbinic conversations about Jewish law. And it's from a a tractate called Kiddushin, page 40b. And I I love this scene with respect to the conversation that's had in the scene. Um, And this is like classic Talmud where they, you know, talk about rabbis sitting around talking to each other. So Rabbi Tarfan and the elders were once reclining in the upper story of Nietzsche's house in Lud, when this question was posed to them. So just remember here, they're reclining. They're like lying down, doing their business, right? Um, And the question is, which is greater, study or action? Rabbi Tarfon answers, action is greater. Rabbi Akiva, who uh, is notably, you know, one of the transcendent rabbis of all time, if not the most important, says study is greater. And all of the other folks sitting around say they agree with Akiva that study is greater than action because it leads to action. So it's very interesting. I, I just also just love that they're like kind of privileging the practice that they're engaged in at that you know very moment. It's like, what are we doing? We're sitting here studying. So of course what we're doing is more important than like going out into the world and feeding the hungry because like we're sitting here being rabbis talking about this stuff. Um, but you know, this, this text is incredibly relevant to the dynamics at play between Chidi and Eleanor. Because Chidi starts off with this assumption that like, I put up my whiteboard, I think through a moral problem, I teach you know Eleanor these names, these questions, these concepts. And Eleanor also operates under that assumption, right? She says, teach me how to be a better person. Well, how I'm gonna do it? I'm gonna put up the whiteboard, right? We're gonna study together. And she does end up opening the books, right? But uh, at the same time, um, you, you do have to bring, the, the, what you learn has to change you in some way. And so it could be the case, for example, with, the, uh, with Eleanor you know, uh, being forced to raise her hand by Chidi to, to clean up the neighborhood, that she was actually being forced into action a bit too soon, that she actually needed to do a little bit more study mm. in order to get to that point where the idea of the action would actually be meaningful to her, for her to understand what it means 
to act that action is you know that action is against the selfishness that has been the foundation of like her you know swallowing paper to prove a point so <laughs> um so what do you think what does this text make you think about in relation to the show you know i so want this to be true and i think that um, i love that they're sort of playing with us i think you know this is where i feel like Mike sure is like talking directly to to me. He's like, I'm going to show you, you know, what it looks like and make fun of you with your books and your blackboard and, you know, talking to people and having uh, handouts about how to be better because that's what you think. And and this, of course, is a TV show. It's going about it in a in a in kind of a related way, but sort of different. And you know, it's got it got me to ask, like, are the things that I have learned actually have they fundamentally changed the way I act? Like, is there mm. something? And did it come from like a lecture and and books and notes he, that where he talks about we're going to have papers and exams? This is going to be so great. And Eleanor's already like skeptical about that. Um, so uh, I will say like there. I, so I was trying to think of an example. I, I will say there's one thing for me. I uh, you know when I decided to become a, a teacher, the first things I did before becoming a synagogue rabbi were were kind of classroom teaching in Jewish schools. Um, some of them were. Uh, what we call supplementary, you know, after school or Sunday programs, and then and then in uh, Jewish day schools, I I had this idea. I think from something I read in maybe um, in the course of one of my early courses in college, maybe psychology, or maybe it was actually a moral philosophy course about like the importance of education. And then I thought back on on the teachers who had influenced me. Uh, to think certain ways and thought, oh, that's a really important thing to do. I'm not a great teacher of kids or, you know, not yet. And I decided that I should, that it was really important. And so I would try to learn how to, how to do that and be better at it. And so that I think is an example of not, not something I was doing bad that I changed, but something I oriented to maybe, I don't know. How about you? Um, I love the way that you said the not yet there. Right. That like you kind of drop that bit of wisdom into this conversation that, you know, the answer to the question is not yet. Always like Eleanor, am I a good person? Eleanor, am I a good person? Not yet, mm. but I could be. And, uh, you know, in, in that sense, there's something so fundamentally American <laughs> about about her. And, you know, the other thing that you got me thinking about there was uh my, my teacher, uh, Rabbi Dr. Larry Hoffman, um, who was a professor of liturgy um, at my seminary, Hebrew Union College in New York, uh, I once heard him say that a, a good sermon doesn't teach you anything that you didn't already know. Mm. It just gives you a way to think about it that helps you, you know, better embody and um, internalize the lesson. And so I guess, you know, one of the things that that sort of opens up for me that's it's kind of unclear, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is, is it the case that Eleanor doesn't know what's right and what's moral? Or is it that she doesn't know how to do what's right and what's moral? Mm. Or what what's going on there? Because, you know, it's kind of like, listen, different cultures have different, you know, understandings of what's moral. We can talk about Jonathan Haidt. Um, and his work on uh, on moral moral psychology. Maybe that'll be a part of a different conversation because I think that that's fascinating um, stuff to to talk about. But you know, it's pretty clear that a lot of what Eleanor does is is morally wrong to anyone with a you know a, a smidgen of moral intuition, right? And so, but is she aware? Does she know? I don't know. Um, what do you think? Does she know that what she's doing is wrong when she does it? 
So I think I think it goes to the question that that maybe the text you brought doesn't say explicitly about sort of different kinds of of knowing, because obviously she feels when she she has that last scene at night where she's thinking about the the last thing picking up the bartender and it sort of comes together she thinks about it and then she goes out and and does this uh, cleaning up of the neighborhood and so you know she's been in a room with the blackboard and like some of the questions but he hasn't started teaching her yet and what you said before like she's not ready to do the the thinking and so there's some combination i think of she wants to avoid going to the bad place and she feels bad and this leads her to to be ready to learn. Uh, I guess that's the answer to the question before, but I, and I love what you said about, about the sermon because it goes back to Teshuvah, that it's like going back, like to something that presumably you, you know. I don't know, what do you think? I think that there, that's also just part of the, the wisdom of, there's a, a great uh, TED talk called Atheism 2.0 uh, by a philosopher named uh, Alain de Botton. I'll, I'll pronounce his name as I believe it's pronounced in <laughs> French, but I could I could be wrong. Very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he he talks about how you know if you're thinking about next level atheism, what is it that atheism, if it wants to you know make for a better world, can learn from the ways that religion has made for a better world? And one of the things that he he talks about is the importance of marking time, and that's one of the things that religion does very successfully. And you know as as rabbis, you know we live on Jewish time. We live according to the, the holidays of the Jewish calendar, and every holiday brings with it a different idea that we encounter with regularity. And uh, he, he makes the point that like religion teaches us that we can't expect to remember everything that's moral and good and true of any kind. Like think about how many times like I have to look up the restaurant down the street, right? Using Google Maps, like, <laughs> you know, um, the same can be said of like, you know, doing the right thing on a given occasion, um, that you need to circle those great truths again and again and again. And that also gets to your point about Teshuva, that it's in spite of the fact that, and, and and I think that aligns also with the idea of the sermon that you didn't, you know, that you know what's true, but you just need to be reminded of it. You just need to to hear it again and again and again and again and again, uh, and until uh, until it becomes a part of um, uh, until it becomes truly embodied and truly a part of you and truly internalized. And that's I think how in that sense Jewish study, whether it's your you're like probing a text or just going each year through the Torah cycle is is different from just like studying something or reading something once. And maybe it's why the good place circles back so many times to similar questions and even ideas and builds on them. I was thinking about, you know, it's back to your first question that how does this work is I, I, I had a moment watching this where uh, when they're out doing the, the garbage cleanup and uh, it's one of those check-in points where Chidi's trying to decide like whether to help Eleanor. And he says, most great philosophers would say helping you is pointless. You can't try to be good when your motivations are corrupt. But Aristotle compares, you know, being good to like learning the fluid. And she's like, Aristotle, let's use that one. And, and like my big, so one of my worries is that you know, study in this in this sense, Talmud or Torah doesn't really, that would be one worry that all this stuff that I do doesn't make a difference. The other is that, oh, you got like some great philosophers and here he says, most of them say this isn't worth it, but here's one. So I think, okay, good, let's choose Aristotle, but then like, that's not the, that's just the beginning. Then we, we delve into that more. You know, I think uh, I've been reading, you mentioned Jonathan Haidt, I was thinking about Daniel Kahneman and all this stuff about how we think we're motivated by by our thoughts, but that 
but that we're actually not or not always conscious. And and I think it's interesting this episode, the as I say, the relationship about um, like thinking plays a role in the process. And it's it's really causing me to think about my my own process and also what you know what I hope to do when I'm teaching or or around when somebody right I mean I mean Chidi wasn't uh, uh, getting a, offering a course and then trying to recruit people to take it or sending out a bulletin to his synagogue so to speak and saying, <laughs> I'm going to offer a course on moral philosophy you know somebody had to want to do it and, and I don't know have you ever had any time where you think that that study has has affected you you know your life course or uh, helped you correct an action. Why don't you share yours first, and then I'll sort of think about it as I go. <laughs> I was actually thinking about two things. I'm not sure that they're one's kind of ethical and one isn't. I'm coming up actually this month may well be the 40th anniversary of the last cheeseburger or bacon cheeseburger actually that I ever ate. And I went to uh, a Jewish camp, Camp Ramah, and I met these kids who were they weren't like orthodox in the way I had a stereotype of orthodox. They were actually conservative. They they sort of believed and looked like I did as a teenager. And but they also all, you know, knew Hebrew fluently and kept kosher and I and I just came back saying, you know, kind of I want to be like that. And I don't mm-hmm. think it was for ethical uh, reasons, but it, but it, you know, now it affects everything I do when I eat. Um, however, I did read Michael Pollan's book, um, The Omnivore's Dilemma, and that got me from an ethical point of view to stop eating certain kinds of meats, you know, but to only, or I should say, mostly eat eat from certain kinds of sources, and that was definitely an ethical something I learned that got me thinking ethically although I was I think primed from some other things like that was a down a long road that had started somewhere earlier so I'll uh, you what you just shared about food got me thinking which is that um I am uh, am uh, very much a carnivore uh, and I love a good piece of meat uh, as much as anyone but in particular what I've learned recently and I would say that uh Ezra Klein's evangelism for veganism and uh, or at least some kind of vegetarianism has inspired me in particular um, around the issue of sustainability environmentalism to cut back on my carnivorous intake and the other thing that i would say that i i really appreciated about um you know some of his, i listened to his podcast with a great deal of regularity and so he talks about how you don't have to take a maximalist approach like it can't it doesn't have to be all or nothing you can take it incrementally and then you know you'll see where it leads and so my wife and I decided that you know uh, we took a, a secular New Year's resolution in January that we're not going to eat meat on weeknights um, that will only you know save that for for Shabbat and for the you know for the weekends uh, and so that's been something that we've done that has been you know uh, and uh, that I think is a, a little bit more a little bit more moral not judging the people who like to you know eat their you know their steaks and their chicken out there but we definitely try and monitor that intake a little bit more so one of the things that i think about is it's almost easier to think about um where study has led to action in relation our examples a lot are in relation to broader social issues and i think what's really interesting in the good place is that they root it a lot in individual action. And one of my big questions about the show is how much they would talk about like the world, you know, what we call tikkun olam, you know, fixing the world. And uh, and I think there are going to be future things where we'll really explore that as the show goes on. But here it's very much about how she treats people who are like right around her. And, um, and I'm trying to think about are there ways in which I got an idea about something I do or don't do, like in my in my person-to-person interactions that maybe study has uh, 
has led to a change in me or gotten me to start thinking about how to how to change my my habits. I'll just share a piece of a piece of Torah that I think about a lot when I have, you know, when I speak to people, which is the, um, you know, who is wise, a person who learns from everyone. That's from Ben, that's Benzoma, uh, also from rabbinic literature. And I think that that sort of guides the way I, you know, uh, I'll have folks who say that you've like totally interrogated me <laughs> when, you know, when you sat down and talked to me, because I was like, yeah, I like to learn about people and you know, learn about where you're coming from and learn about your stories. And so that's always a little voice I have. Benzoma little voice I always have humming in the back of my head saying, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Another teacher that I had, Reverend Dr. Charles Howard, who's the um, university chaplain at, at Penn, or at least he was when I was a student there, said, uh, you know, used to say, turn judgment into curiosity, which I'm sure is like something that, you know, uh, it's, it's a very common idea that's been articulated. And that's, a, that's another piece that um, really guides the way I talk to people and mm -hmm. um, uh, interact with folks. I think you and I are two people who certainly believe that that Torah isn't just found in in Jewish books or in in the Bible or the Talmud also. You know, and I think that the the other thing that I you know, before I ended up working at Central, I, I taught a lot of college students. And it's always interesting teaching Torah to college students because they approach it with the same interpretive principles that they do the other texts that they're encountering in their, you know, you know, regular course of academic study. And so they all want to like rip it apart and say like, it's a blah, 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 blah. So why is this different? And you know, what, what makes the sacred literature of the Jewish people different? And what I always encourage folks to do is to just entertain the possibility that the literature can transform you. Just entertain the possibility. And also like, what does it mean to encounter a text that, you know, the person who wrote it never knew, like didn't know who you obviously, but dreamed that you would one day be reading it. Like, what does it mean? And how does that change the way that you encounter, encounter that literature, mm. um, encounter the sacred text? And so those are, you know, just from the perspective of like, what can learning do for us? What can learning do to us? How can it make us, you know, how can it transform us? I think that those are a couple of, of lessons that I've taken away from my time as a teacher. Boy, and you really knock me out, Dan, because you're, you're making me think about these texts that describe the Torah almost as if it was a personal letter from God to mm, each of us, yeah. um, or sometimes even as like a marriage contract or, uh, or a will or something that was uh, inscribed. And in uh, these Midrashim, which, which we've talked about, about the Ten Commandments being uttered in the singular, you know, in this whole mm. group, as though, as though to each of us in our own way. And we'll loop back to that another time. Wow. Well, our you know we could talk about these things for for hours, and I think the great thing about the good place is that we'll be able to to loop back and and build on this um, because we're just getting started in this this process that uh, that Eleanor and then soon we'll learn the others are going through as well. Thank you, Dan, Rabbi Dan. All Ross, right, John, for uh, <laughs> for being here with me, and I hope you'll be a a regular uh, co-host. I will. And there it is for our second episode. Thank you for joining us. I hope we're earning some positive points in your algorithm. Check out tovgoodplace.com, T-O-V, good place, all one word. That's where you can see the texts we discussed and the Hebrew words we used, as well as links for deeper dives. Subscribe to Tove wherever you get your podcasts and give us a good rating. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tove Good Place. 
And if you have ideas for how this can be more interesting or more fun, email me at tove at tovegoodplace.com. Once again, I'm John Spira Savet, and you can follow me at RabbiJS3 or on my blog, RabbiJohn.net. That's J-O-N. Thanks again, Rabbi Dan Ross, for joining me. Dan's on Instagram with his Judaism-themed workout videos at R-A-V underscore W-O-D. And check out his synagogue, centralsynagogue.org. Tune in next time as I'm joined by the always thoughtful and ever hilarious Rabbi Audrey Marcus Berkman. Thank you to my local Jewish place, Temple Beth Abraham in Nashua, New Hampshire, tbanashua.org. Come by if you're ever in our area or join us on Zoom from anywhere. And thank you again for listening. To adapt Mark Evan Jackson's sign-off on the official Good Place podcast, go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.